when the replay official did not stop I, the game. I'm not going to comment on that. I'll get fined for the rest of my life if I get commented on that. We had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special, just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun, it ought to be illegal. Coach Harris, they don't talk. Is that something you just ignore? Yeah, yeah, you, you ignore because one week you're getting fired, and the next week you're going to take another job, and I'm worried about the darn SEC West Championship. And So, yes, to answer your question. Our purpose is to win, make no mistake about it, but it's to win the right way. And our goal, our stated goal, is going to be to win the Sun Belt, uh, sorry, to win the SEC East. That's iron sharpening iron. That's the way this thing's got to work, man. We got to know and understand that it's got to be about competition. Talk about the reception you received from the fan, fan base. Did you ever think you'd be kissing and hugging babies at the tarmac when you got the point? Um, a lot better than another tarmac experience that I had. <laughs> I didn't think of it. It was like, like an anniversary or something like that. We're coming. We're coming, and we ain't backing down. Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Breton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter, live from Portland, Oregon. What's going on, you big Tennessee homer? Hey, buddy, what's going on? Hey, I'm on vacation, so I'm just praying that uh, nothing major happens. <laughs> Otherwise, this podcast is going to be pretty dated pretty quick here. <laughs> Dude, I wish I was up there with you. Uh, this whole corona thing, man, backfired on everybody. And unfortunately, me and my brother were not able to join you up there. So I hope you're having a, f- a good time, man. What's Portland like? You been to Voodoo Donuts yet? <laughs> well... Besides, uh, you know, some of the more legal stuff up here, that was the first stop I made up here. Let me just tell you that, brother. So it's good to be up in Oregon. You know, the last time I was up here, Tennessee came up to travel up to Eugene. I had such a good time that I really wanted to make the trip again. This is the first time I was ever able to make it out again. So, yeah, it's great up here. It was, it was about 94 degrees when I left Nashville. It's 60, high 60s here. So I'm in heaven right now. I love it. I love it. You've been sending pictures of donuts for the last three months, so I'm glad you finally get to enjoy them, Mike. <laughs> All right, so we got uh, not a ton of SEC news, but we did want to give you guys something, so uh, we kind of came up with the idea to rank the SEC play callers, the coordinators, if you will. All right, so like I said, we don't have much on this show, but I really wanted to start with this news because most everybody I imagine have already seen this where we have a handful of players down in Alabama reportedly reportedly test positive for the coronavirus Mm -hmm. Arkansas has already come out and confirmed you know now they were not saying which player they're not allowed to say which player but they're saying they have a positive coronavirus test and naturally you're probably going to see some people freak out about this some people you know, questioning should these players even be back on campus. But I'm going to spin it the other way. You know, we've been so positive all off season in our belief that there was going to be college football in the fall, and this does not deter me. And it's not just blind optimism. And I'm going to tell you why, Shane, because I think this was bound to happen. 
given the fact that all these players were away from campus, you can't monitor them, you don't know who they're with, you don't know, you know, obviously they're all across the country, different cities, some regions have uh, more cases of coronavirus than others. So this is why it was so important for the SEC to say, you know, let's set a date across the conference, June 8th, we'll get the players in a week before, and thanks to the thorough testing, we're going to find out that these players got coronavirus. And that way, there's still so much time to where anybody that tests positive, any coach that tests positive, any you know, support staff member test positive. We isolate that person for 14 days. And I think the most important thing for anyone saying, well, hell, why are we even bringing these kids back? You know, it's not, it's voluntary. So they don't, they're not forcing anyone to come back. Not all the players are going to return at this time, but I don't know about you, Shane, but if I had coronavirus, I would want to be in the hands of professionals where you get the best health care. They're going to be monitoring you on a day-to-day basis. And yeah. if, God forbid anything happens, That's they're going down to the wrong path. You got all the medical attention you need right there on mm-hmm. campus, and they're going to knock that thing out or give you the best care possible. So, yes, it's it's a troubling when you see like a headline like that, but I think the SEC was wise to choose the date they did so that, uh, you know, you want these cases, if they're going to come up, you want them to come now. Before yeah. there's a training camp, before there's a season, we got to find out who's having this coronavirus, who doesn't. And look at it this way, too. When the vast majority of the players are back on campus right now, yet they see you know X amount of their teammates are not in the facility, they're not able to work for two weeks because it's a 14-day isolation period, I think that's a really good example because you know there's one thing that I think you've hit on that you know, once all these players come back, once there's a football season, you know, while the the players don't have, you know, unlimited time to themselves outside of football, they do still have, you know, the option to go go to campus or go out to eat or whatever. And if you're careless and you contract the coronavirus, guess what? You're out for two weeks. You know, you're yeah. you're out for the season opener. You're out for the conference opener. And it, I think it's good for these kids to see. Okay, there's consequences. If I'm not smart. And I contract this thing, hell, there's, you know, a sixth of my season potentially is gone. Right. So that's why that that's just a big, big reason why when I see these headlines, I'm not worried. If anything, I think it's a it's a positive. Now, hell, if they said 50 players got it, you know, we, we got a real issue here. But we're talking one person at Arkansas, a couple at Alabama. I think this is, uh, you know, obviously you don't you don't want anyone to have it, but yeah, I'm not panicking over this. Is basically what I'm trying to say. Yeah, again, something we've talked about on, you know, previous episodes. I just, I, I think that these kids are going to be isolated for their protection, you know, and it also protects the university because, like you said, if you have the whole team get it, you know, that's that's a two-week forfeit, you know. So I, I, the, the millions of dollars that would be lost in a two-week forfeit are, are astronomical. So, you know, one thing, too, you know, a lot of these kids flew in, you know, they could have got it on their way mm-hmm. to the university. Um, and I'm, I'm with you, man. I mean, why wouldn't you want to be on campus? I, I don't want to sound like Dana Holgerson, but yeah, you know, all these places got chefs. And <laughs> if you see, I mean, 
if you're sick, man, not only are they going to watch you, but they're going to monitor you and give you good food along the way, keep you hydrated, keep you healthy. And, you know, and who knows, some of these kids could have been running around and not know that they had the coronavirus till they made it to the campus. So who knows how many lives they could have saved just by bringing them in. Yeah. So that that's the main point there. Do not freak out that you're seeing some of this stuff. I think it's, you know, it's, it's, Best case scenarios, the season, upcoming season still on, despite you know a handful of tests here or there across the SEC. And like I said, you'd much rather have these now than three months down the line here when we got the season coming up. Do you think this hurts the fans? Uh, I mean, just the fact you brought again different folks, different you know different areas. We've got these. Uh, positive cases as soon as they get there. I mean, if there was any whistleblowers, I, I think they could use this as saying, wait, you know, this is exactly why we shouldn't have fans at the games. Do you, I mean, do you think this is a bad thing or a good thing? I mean, what do you, what do you think is going on there? Yeah, honestly, I think it's still a little too early to tell because, you know, all indications, these colleges are going to do everything they possibly can to have these stadiums at 100% capacity by the time the football season arrives. And I don't think they're going to be making any decisions till August on anything like that. So, you know, I think they're just going to keep collecting data, keep seeing how this virus plays out. And it yeah. certainly seems like it's much better than, my goodness, a couple months ago we were all you know, not oh, yeah, freaking man. out. You know what I mean? So in a couple months we could be in the clear completely. So, yeah, I don't – I would not imagine they're going to make a decision before they have to because they don't want to say, okay, we can't have fans or we can only have you know X amount of fans and then turn around and they really miss out on a ton of money because they could have had the whole stadium in there. You know what? Right, right, man. I was like doomsday prepping, man, you know? <laughs> sitting in my bunker. <laughs> Is it safe to come? I was like John Goodman did that. <laughs> All right, so the only other uh, news item, it was a relatively slow week here in the SEC, but I just thought this was pretty interesting because uh, LSU AD Scott Woodward, uh, he had a Q&A session, went for a good good bit there for th- about 30 minutes and touched on a lot of topics, you know, a lot of the obvious questions that uh, they just don't have answers to at this point. But uh, a couple really interesting notes here. LSU may finally, finally, finally be playing Michigan. It sounds like that's in the works. Scott Woodward teased, you know, an upcoming neutral site game. And then finally, I thought this was really interesting, uh, why the TV packages have not yet scheduled out the kickoff times and all that and why that could lead to more night games in the SEC and, of course, in Tiger Stadium. Y'all, y'all have you know, big games, uh, home and home games scheduled with some some big schools. I'm, I'm trying to think of some. I know Arizona State, uh, Oklahoma is still on the schedule. Uh, Texas is supposed to, you know, return. The, was, I say we're supposed to. I, I'm just journalistically. Uh, the game's <laughs> scheduled, and, and Scott hasn't said anything <laughs> to think that they won't be coming. Oh, they're coming uh, on September 12th, I believe, <laughs> uh, for the first time since the since the 50s that Texas will play a game in Tiger Stadium. Uh, and, and some of these other schools, these are important, uh, you know, things. Y- y'all have kind of moved away from, and I know this predates your time as athletic director. Y'all have kind of moved away from 
some of the neutral site yeah. games. Although you're playing technically Rice this year, the Rice game is at NRG Stadium in Houston. That's technically a uh, a game was probably going to be more of a home game for y'all with all the alumni yeah. <laughs> in Houston. But just talk about the the if you would the philosophy uh, behind scheduling yeah. right now and, and and your thoughts on it. Uh, they've kind of played out a little bit, you know. Be honest with you, the the, the neutral site, site preseason games they're still doing them, but they've kind of lost their appeal in a lot of ways to a lot of folks because really two factors is the novelty of it's gone, and secondly, you know, it's balancing that thing for us. Hey. You guys that are season ticket holders and that you are premium seat holders, I'm taking a good tilt away from you. You know, you're, you're going to have to go to a neutral site and see it, and, and you want to see it probably in, in the in the confines of Tiger Stadium and your seats and, and, and or go to Austin or, or some of these other places. Yeah, exactly. Been in a long time. So, yeah. so that's that's kind of I'm sure what the thinking was and what's happening in the industry and in the business. Mm. And so we've we've planned a bunch of good games, uh, UCLA trip to LA looking forward to that one very yeah. much personally Scott exactly yeah, but playing them in the Rose Bowl but yeah. you'll see some more where we have a, a good impact and it makes sense for us we'll do some uh, uh I guarantee you Verge is working right now hard on some good neutral site games that that uh that may be in in in, in the works and I'll, I'll give you a tidbit here and I'm not going to answer any questions okay. about it but okay. I will tell you you know, there happens to be a new stadium in the NFL being built, and mm -hmm. that might be a great place to have a neutral site game. So take it for what you want, but I'm okay. not asking any more questions. Okay. West right. of here. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 that kind of narrows it down a little bit. There's a couple, there's a couple out, out west, uh, but uh, I, I know one in particular that, uh, that could, could be interesting. I will say that, and, and as a longtime LSU football fan, you're, you're going to know where I'm going with this. Uh, after you play UCLA, there's only going to be one traditional national power that LSU's never played in football. And I know you know, probably know who that is. Go blue, huh? Yeah, M Michigan. Yeah. You know, yeah. And I know Les Miles never wanted, he was a Michigan man, never wanted to play Michigan, didn't like the idea of playing Michigan in a bowl game. So maybe that's a game that could be played uh, somewhere. Once. I can assure you without any breaking any confidences, uh, uh, the AD there is a Louisiana guy and uh, – We've had conversations, and we're just hoping uh, one day we could get something done. So, because LSU literally has played yeah. everybody else. I mean, BYU finally finally played you know, finally yeah. played a few years ago, and uh, you know, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Notre Dame. You know, gone gone out west. Went, you know, Washington. Where were you? Were you at Washington at the time? When I LSU was. was yeah, Virgin. I scheduled that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that, was a, yeah. that was a funny game. That's, yeah, that's a beautiful That's a beautiful campus and a beautiful stadium. It is. If people ever get get out there. Um, that's kind of one of the things uh, that didn't take place this spring and this one hurt me personally I don't know about you but the, the SEC spring meeting in Destin was canceled uh, in, in late May and that's usually when uh, you know some some uh, legislation some some decisions come out but also uh, some early season uh, football uh, game times are, are set and stuff like that and all the networks put a pause pause on that uh, uh, this you know I don't know when we're gonna hear about that I assume maybe sometime in the next month or so you, have you, you heard anything about scheduling or TV because right now everything Things TBA except for the the game at Rice. I think it's set for two thirty in the afternoon over there. That's NRG. their as their game. Yeah, but uh, no no TV network or anything like that for that. But uh, are, are you hearing any anything uh, that could be coming soon, or maybe when we might hear about some of these games? Yeah, and, and you you and I have talked about this before, and I want to tell uh, the listeners out there and the readers that the reason this was done by the networks is because a lot of sporting events are going to get that were canceled or postponed in the spring are going to get pushed back into the fall so they want to integrate that with college football to make sure it works and works well and and hopefully for us and this is why I was pro uh, 
pushing it off a little more is that hopefully it'll mean more night games and, and more, more nighttime uh, opportunities for us uh, because they'll want to take up whether it's horse racing or whether it's the NBA or the MLB migrating in there, leave that more for day games uh, and, and, and leaving the, the night windows more open for us. That's my hope. I'm knocking on wood on that one. And that's why uh, I and, 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 and Commissioner Sankey uh, especially is being patient and working with them on that. All right, Shane. So now I'm left wondering where is LSU <laughs> headed? It sounds like Coach Joe's going to Vegas, baby. <laughs> yeah. It's got to be LA or Vegas, and I think if you're an SEC fan, obviously yeah, I think you'd much rather go to Las Vegas just for the pure entertainment factor. Hell, I used to live in Los Angeles. Nothing wrong with that town, but Vegas, baby, Vegas. I mean, that's the location to go. I think we're going to see a lot more of that, and and of course, I think we hit on this, you know, about a year ago, but. SEC supposed to start playing a bowl game in there. It's the Las Vegas Bowl. So uh, I think that that a stadium and just that setting is going to be such a, an attraction. And, I mean, Baton Rouge is a wonderful place. You can't beat it visiting a game there. But imagine watching the Tigers in Vegas. I mean, that could be almost as fun. You know what? That's right. I got to get my card counting book out, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm trying to think, though, who LSU would play in a game like that. I think it would probably have to be, you know, probably a Pac-12 team, maybe a Big 12 team. But I was thinking, you know, LSU versus USC or Oregon or maybe Oklahoma. Any of those matchups, I would love to see that in Las Vegas. For sure, man. I'd love to see LSU and Clemson, you know, just again, Battle of Death Valley in Vegas. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I just think that would be cool. Um, but, you you know, something that he kind of hit on was the uh, um, was Michigan, you know, and it kind of surprises me. Uh, something you were telling me about earlier that these guys have never played. Yeah, that's the one school. I believe UCLA is the other and they've got a schedule game home and home with UCLA in the upcoming year. So Aside from that, well, the oldie major team, LSU, historically has never played Michigan. And, of course, Les Miles was a Michigan man, and there was those connections there. And Michigan tried to steal away old Les Miles at one point. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is um, that's a, that's a hell thought, of a matchup. I thought they did. And uh, I had to go back and look, but that was Wisconsin. And they played in Green Bay, right, that game? Yeah. So, I, for some reason, I thought that was Michigan. And, of course, Les – you know, left two games later or something like that. <laughs> that was you the know, end for Les. <laughs> That's it. Les was gone. Coach O's in, and the rest is history. So, I, you know, I, I'd love to see that matchup. I think that would be great, man. Mm-hmm. All right, so like I said, we don't have a lot of news here, so I just thought it would be a little bit entertaining. People seem to appreciate – well, I don't know if appreciate is the right word, but they, they certainly give us feedback <laughs> when we do these rankings. So we've done the head coaches. We've done quarterbacks. I thought it'd be pretty interesting to rank the SEC play callers, ranked every coordinator in the SEC from one to fourteen on both sides of the ball, and then what I did. Let me see if this makes sense to you, Shane. So, you know, I gave the best offensive coordinator in the SEC. I gave my number one for being the best. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the defense. If you're the best, you got a number one, and then what I did was I combined offense and defensive grades for each team, and I gave them a total grade. So the lower the grade, the better coordinators you got. Does that make sense? That makes sense, like golf. Okay. Exactly. So Well, I, and, and I 
When you said you were putting this thing together, I said, I want absolutely nothing to do with this. <laughs> Just the other day, Matt Jones is digging up some old list that we did last month, you know? So I said, no, I list, I, I don't do list, but I am here. And I'm just going to tell you right now, Mike, I don't care how much time you put on this thing. It is wrong. Okay. <laughs> and you're going to hear about it for about three more weeks. So by all means, you're in Portland. So let's have at it. All right. So we'll start with the offensive coordinator ranks. And again, I'm doing this specifically as the play caller. So there are a few head coaches that call plays in the SEC. If that's the only case, that's the only way you're making this list. You know, we know Nick Saban, they're really running his defense up there at Alabama, but he's not calling the defensive plays on game day. Same thing with Kirby Smart. He's running a hell of a unit. He's, I know he's got his hands all over that defense, and all week he's game planning, getting the plays ready. But on the game day, he's not calling the plays but that's not necessarily the case with some of these offensive coaches in the SEC. So I had to say that just so to clear this up because my number one offensive coordinator play caller, if you will, in the SEC, Mike Leach. Thoughts on Mike Leach being the best play caller? I know we haven't seen him yet really outside of, you know, 20 years ago at Kentucky, but I just mm-hmm. think Mike Leach, his system – calling the plays, he's getting these quarterbacks to throw arcade game numbers, you know, every single year. Uh, I, I cannot, in good conscience, put anyone over Mike Leach as the SEC's best offensive play caller. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, kind of hard, you know, I don't know. May, I, it's kind of hard to, to look at what LSU did, did last year and, and not consider, you know, putting uh, – and hard not putting Ensminger you know, up there, or uh, there's some other good names you're going to come across. So I, I think he's definitely uh, an offensive guru. I mean, that's something that's stuck. I mean, he's he's invented offenses. So uh, I think I think you're – it'd be picky choosy, you know, here at these top few spots. But that's that's the only blowback I think you're going to get from, uh, from the folks. Just because a lot of people – in the SEC, myself included, haven't got to see Mike Leach lately. You know, I mean, like you said, it's been a long time. I, I, I never really sat down and watched a Mike Leach coach team since Texas Tech, to be honest with you. Right. And, and that was back when I was playing NCAA, and I wanted to get in on that <laughs> offense. You know what I'm saying? It was just, it, I, I, I love that fun gun and just, just air it out. So yeah, I'm, uh, but if I were picking, I would, I would say he'd be at the top. All right, number two on my list. I don't think I'm going to get much uh, controversy here. Dan Mullen, his offenses, Mm. you know, we all know him as his offensive guru, but his teams, when they have a strong offensive line and running game, he's just as likely to run the ball as he is to throw it. So I really like the fact that uh, Dan Mullen's very adaptable. I mean, he'll spread you out. He'll throw all over. If if he's got receivers and a quarterback like he did last year, uh, many of his Mississippi State teams were – ground and pound so Dan Mullen for my money number two in the SEC yeah I I have no argument there I'm sure again you're gonna get some Georgia fans a little upset that Dan's this high but I I I don't know it it seems like he he makes things work with what he has you know and if he had a better running game I think we would have saw more running last year from Florida it's just 
Kyle took off, so he just played there. So he's kind of like Saban in that that mindset, just play the best athlete and, and cater to what you're good at. All right, you're going to like this one, Shane. Number three on my list, Jim Chaney, the big dog. Mm-hmm. I lo- same kind of similar thing with Dan Mullen. I love the fact that Jim Chaney, he can go five wide. He can go two tight ends and ground and pound. I mean, he goes with what his personnel, what he's got. I know Tennessee, not that consistent last year on offense. He could have said the same thing with his first Georgia offense, but once those players get acclimated to the system, once they have an offensive line, uh, Jim Chaney's done some tremendous work in the SEC. Oh, I love it, man. I love it. Uh, I, is Steve on this list? <laughs> I'm just curious. <laughs> I mean, they just put up the most points ever, and I know a lot of people are going to credit Joe Brady, but uh, is he is where's he at on there? I got Steve Ensminger. This is going to be a shocker, Shane. I got him number eight, Steve Ensminger. Oh, wow. Okay, why so low on Steve? Well, it's kind of like you said. I'm not quite sure. Not There's a lot of uh, really good coordinators because we had some great hires this offseason in the SEC. Mm-hmm. But it, it's not trying to, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to Steve Ensminger, but it is interesting that uh, we just don't know how much of these play calls were Joe Brady, particularly in the yeah. in the red zone and third down where LSU excelled. And, you know, and, and how much was it uh, – you know, of course, Joe Burrow, the Heisman winner. So can he do it without him? I know uh, I, I got a ton of respect for Ensminger. I, I'm not trying to downgrade him, but hell, we even got some big names behind Ensminger. So that's kind of why uh, I got him uh, still at, at number eight. Okay. So number four on my list, I got Eddie Grant, a Kentucky offensive coordinator. And I mm-hmm. think that's going to be a surprise because who I got number five. But Eddie Grant, I just think that, you know, they've just been so limited in the last couple of years at the quarterback position, yet they consistently get production. You know, they're not dominant on offense by any means, but hell, when you're able to run the ball and they know you're gonna be they're gonna run it in the SEC, uh that yeah. I think that just speaks to how well you can game plan and get these players ready to play and, and execute on a on a very, very limited offense like it's been the last couple of years. Yeah, I'm with you, and 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 you know that he's a good coordinator when teams are trying to pick him. You know, right? Uh, he's. It seems like every every year he's he's on top of a short list. So I'm with you on there. Now again, this will be controversial, but I think he's got to prove something to me. Number five, Jimbo Fisher. Mm-hmm. I think people are going to be stunned that he's that low, but again, Texas A&M not exactly been dynamic, particularly last year on offense. It's, it's tough to put Fisher here. I think he could certainly rise in this rankings in the in the year to come. He, he'd probably be in the top three if they do what I think they're going to do. But for my money, I don't know. I just don't think Jimbo Fisher has quite lived up to the hype at Texas A&M. I know they've been kind of, you know, and, and that's somewhat to be expected because they're still acclimating to his system. But going into year three, this is, we've been saying it all offseason, this has got to be a make or break year for Jimbo Fisher. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on this one, and I'm willing to take him completely off the list if Texas A&M <laughs> falls short this year. Uh, I, the pressure's on. The time is now. So uh, if he's going to make any noise in the West, it's got to be this year. And and I'm kind of with you. I, I hate to say it this far in, but Jimbo's more of a wait and see for me as well. All right, number six on my list, Kendall Bryles, Arkansas offensive coordinator. This is probably going to be a lot higher than a lot of people have him, but – I'm really impressed with the fact that this guy has been able to jump around from job to job. You know, Florida State wasn't that good last year, but of course they had the damn head coach get fired and 
that was just a damn a nightmare down there in Tallahassee. But prior to that, I mean, he was at Houston, and they put up incredible numbers. He was at FAU the year before. Again, incredible numbers. The year prior, Baylor, incredible numbers. I mean, I think that says something about you and your scheme, that you can jump around like that, work with different quarterbacks all along the way, and get production out of them. And I think Arkansas should be just damn glad they got Kendall Bryles on their side. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Baylor was putting up some pretty big numbers when he was down there, so I think they got a good one there. All right, number seven on my list, Mike Bobo. And you may say, well, hell, he did an outstanding job at Georgia, but that was a little bit, you know, a while ago, and I'm kind of – it's not really trying to downgrade him because this is tough to do because we've not been studying his offense the last couple of years with him being at Colorado State, but – I'm kind of wondering now, and we hear the reports out of South Carolina, they're going to go back to more of the, you know, I formation. They're going to go more traditional, kind of the Mike Bobo system that they ran at Georgia, like they've been running at Colorado State, and they're going against the grain in the SEC. That could be, you know, that could be a disaster or it could be a genius move. And until we kind of find out, that's kind of why he's in the middle of the road there for me. Yeah, I mean, you got to be different. I love the affirmation. Don't get me wrong, but you know, this is twenty twenty, Mike. That's gonna that, that worries me a little bit. I mean, honestly, if I was a South Carolina fan, I'm hearing we're going that route. You know what I'm saying? Right. We're gonna go more the ground and pound. It, it's it, that's gonna work on a lot of teams. But do you have the offensive line? To, to go against uh, a Georgia or, a, you know, or an Alabama or whoever you're going against in the SEC. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I formation, it, it takes some bigs up front, and I just don't know because you've been, you've been game planning for – I mean, you've been recruiting around a specific type of offense for so long and the switch to something like that – you know, I was worried about LSU, though. I got, you know, I got to admit, uh, <laughs> when LSU switched their offense up and it worked out. But, I, you know, it's you never – you don't really see a lot of folks switching back to the to the run game like this. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. And if he pulls it off, man, then we got to definitely move him up this list next year. All right, so we already talked to Ensminger at eight. I, I still think LSU is going to be very good on offense last year, but – just waiting to see what they look like after losing so many key players and some key assistants. Number nine on my list, Steve Sarkeesian, Alabama offensive coordinator. And it's tough to grade him because, hell, I've even seen Lane Kiffin joking about the fact that uh, his son could have coordinated Alabama's offense the last couple of years, all the talent they have. So what can Steve Sarkeesian do without a dynamic first-round quarterback at Alabama, all that talent. I mean, he's still going to have loaded with talent, but I don't know. I've, I've just not seen a ton from Sarkeesian to think he's this mastermind of offense just yet. Oh, I'm telling you right now, the guy's going to end up winning awards at the end of the season <laughs> with that receiving core he has, and he's going to have any job he wants out west. So you just watch and see. All right, number 10 on my list, Todd Munkin, Georgia offensive coordinator. Georgia fans probably upset with that ranking, but again – you know, he's been in the NFL, so clearly he's got the knowledge and he's excelled at Southern Miss when he was the head coach there. I don't, I honestly don't know how much of a hand he had in the offense there. I'm, I'm sure he did, and I know he was good at Oklahoma State, but that was 10 years ago. So this is one where it's just tough to rank him until we see more of him. You know, I, I could easily see anyone justifying moving him up the list, but I just don't know 
that we're going to see a dynamic offense from Georgia, given the fact we got new offensive line, new quarterback, new running back. I just I I gotta I gotta see it before I can just believe it. Right. Eli Drinkwitz, number eleven. So he's the last head coach on the list here. He's going to call the plays at Missouri. I know he did a hell of a job there at Appalachian State last year, and he's got a reputation as being an offensive guru type guy. So, I mean, he could certainly rise up this list as well, but just don't know enough about him to kind of rate him any higher either. Yeah, I'm with you. And then how about this one, Shane? This may be the most controversial of all for not putting him dead last. (laughs) Chad Morris, number 12. (laughs) (laughs) We know he's probably the worst SEC head coach of all time, but I'll give him a little bit of credit because his offenses, you know, at times have been solid. I still think he's overrated as like this quarterback guru. I don't know why he gets that reputation. I don't think his offenses, they've, they've been very good. I'm, I'm not trying to downgrade the, the man, but I just don't think it's, they've been this phenomenal. So I cannot put him any, any higher than number 12 at this time. Mm, I think you may be wrong there, but we'll, I, I, I honestly, I think when Chad's going to be able to focus on this offense with Gus's help, um, it, it's it's like flipping a coin. Like either A, he's really going to shine, and you're going to look back and say, man, you know what? Chad Morris is something. He just didn't have the pieces he needed. Mm-hmm. Or B, you're going to say, man, both these coaches suck and they need to, they need to be fired. So uh, that's that's kind of a coin toss right now. I'm, I'm just on the fence on Auburn by itself. I, I just – I don't know. It just feels like a like a good year coming uh, for some reason. I, I, I just got that vibe, and I think it's going to be on the offensive side. I think you've got a, a good quarterback. Bo Nix is going to make you look like a better quarter or uh, coordinator, right? You know, if he brings it. If he doesn't, then like I said, I, he may be out of another job at the end of the season. All right, last two on my list. Don't know a ton about these guys, so we'll just go here quickly. But uh, Todd Finch for Vanderbilt. He was Louisiana Tech's offensive coordinator. They have impressive numbers, and Louisiana Tech under Skip Holtz has been one of the better teams in that league. So, you know, I think Vanderbilt should be kind of fired up to have this guy, but, you know, they lost every quarterback on the roster. So what is that offense going to look like next year with a completely new quarterback, new system? It could be a struggle right there. And then last, Jeff Libby, Ole Miss, you know, how much is it going to be Lane Kiffin? How much is it Jeff Libby? I don't know. Lane Kiffin said he wasn't even called the plays at FAU. So I don't know if – obviously he's going to have uh, his hands all over the offense there in Oxford. But mm-hmm. I just don't know a ton about Jeff Libby. Though. And he, to my knowledge, doesn't have uh, as much SEC experience as the rest of these guys on this list. Mm. I could just I, – I can hear the angry typing already, Mike. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm going to turn them notifications off for a little bit. So, like I said, there's no correct list, you know, mm-hmm. but this is your opinion. You made some great, great – I thought uh, I, I thought it was a good list. I thought it was a very good list. I, you know, there was a couple I was questioning, you know, mainly Steve, just because I don't think he got enough respect last year. Everybody was all on this Joe Brady thing, and, and a lot of people don't realize it was third down. It was goal line situations. That's when he was doing the play calling – but for the most part, you know, it was Joe and it was Steve. So I, I just, I, I just don't think he was getting enough enough respect. But I want to ask you, out of this list, uh-huh. uh, you're you're looking at it there, one to fourteen. From the bottom ones, who has the best shot of rising up quickly by the end of the season? Which one can you look back and say, okay, I could have, I, you know, I had a gut 
feeling that he would be better than I have him, you know, if you're looking at the list. Oh, well, I think the two that kind of jump out to me, obviously, in the state of Alabama, Steve Sarkeesian, you know, he really could skyrocket up here because if Alabama's dynamic again with yeah. with the guys they've lost, I think that's going to say a lot for Sarkeesian. But, you know, just going back through his history, man, I mean, USC, they were never that good with him. Uh, at Washington, they were never that good with him. And then as soon as he oh, gets fired Falcons. at those – if the Falcons were, t- were never good with him. Oh, I mean, trust me, I have fantasy <laughs> players, I know. It seems like every time he leaves, they get better. So, uh, yeah, I'm just not a big believer in him, but he's got the talent. And then I, th- I think you make fair points there with Chad Morse. I mean, Auburn is also an elite recruiter. And uh, we keep hearing it from Gus Malzahn. Bo Nix is going to win a championship when he leaves at, at Auburn. If he takes that big step up, I think there's a chance Chad Morris is uh, is just huge in, in his development. Just pick one that you wouldn't be surprised if we just uh, if if he turns out to be a bust. Ooh, man, this is because <laughs> I'm thinking I'm going with Mike Leach. I'm just going to go ahead and oh. put it out there. You, you got him at the one spot, and you know I've been pumping up this offense. I've been excited, but. You know, it's it's a different animal when you're in the SEC, man. You know, the defenses are better. So, can can it keep up? Do they have this? That's the thing. Do they have the team to run that offense right now? And I don't I don't know that they do. And that may we may get to the end of the season and say, golly, Mike Leach was you know he was not <laughs> doing good. He, the play calling was not there or or something. But it just may be the talent gap. I just think at the end of the season he has a good shot to to drop to the bottom. Now again, he may surprise us, come out and do his thing, and we're looking back saying, yeah, that's the pirate we know. But there's also that shot that he may be an absolute bust in the SEC. Here's one I'll give you. In man, they are going to be mad. In this city, when I say this, Shane. But we were hearing the same damn things last year. No concern over losing the offensive coordinator. We're ready to roll with this new guy, and we're going to dominate the SEC, and, you know, the haters can shut up. But (laughs) Todd Bunkin at Georgia, I could see that blowing up on him. And it's not so much really to do about him. It's got to do with, you know, we got a totally rebuilt offensive line. We lost, you know, probably the best running back in the NFL draft. We've lost a three-year starter, and now we got, you know, this kid with all this hype from Wake Forest who could never really do much against elite competition. And mm-hmm. I've been very public with my JT Daniels belief. So, you know, if he's the quarterback, maybe I'll look like a damn fool here. But at what point are we going to say – if Kirby Smart's offense sucks yet again, that's why I had him on a three out of a five-level hot seat because he's got too much talent to – I know I know. hell they only lost two games last year, but they, they probably shouldn't even have lost them. You know what I mean? So he's yeah. got all the talent in the world. He's got to get this offense right. I'm not saying his job's in danger by any means, but if this is a damn bust on offense this year – I think he's going into the next season with hot seat questions. And so he, mm-hmm. he's really got to nail this Todd Munkin hire. And, you know, it's not Kirby's fault that there's been a shortened offseason. We didn't have spring, but that just accelerates this whole process. And it's going to make it that much tougher for Todd Munkin to, you know, have a an elite unit coming out the gate. And I know 
I've been saying time and time again, Georgia's going to beat Alabama. But what happens if, God forbid, Alabama, like, goose eggs them? You know? I mean, what are we going to be saying at that point? Right. That, you know, because it looks like Georgia is man-to-man with Alabama, but they just can't finish the deal. If we're mm-hmm. facing them again and you, and we get goose egged here, we we lose an embarrassing fashion. It's like that program's taking a step back while they're just continue to look up at Alabama. Yeah, I mean for for last year, I mean we always thought Georgia as a one A one B top team, but then when they played LSU, they they looked like they didn't belong on the same field. You know, I thought that coordinator spot was the the most important hire in the entire SEC last year. And if it turns to be a, a, a flop or a fail, you know, or you could – don't forget, things were going good when you had Cheney, you know. Maybe you could have threw a little bit more money and kept him, you know. Right. The, a lot of people are going to be thinking about that as well. So if this is a if this is a bad hire, golly. And I, I think it all starts with the quarterback. And, again, we're, we're kind of lost. We hope Newman's the guy, but we may have this uh, JT come in. We, we don't even know if he's going to get cleared. We, there's so many, so much uncertainty on that offense that you're right, this could, this could turn around and bite Kirby in the ass, man. All right, so jumping over to the defense real quick, Kevin Steele. I got him number one in the SEC. I don't think Kevin Steele gets enough credit for the job he's done in the at Auburn defensive corner. Hell, I think he saved Gus Malzahn's job a time or two. So <laughs> yeah. if you're giving me the option of hiring any defensive coordinator in the nation, I'm probably going with Kevin Steele, number one. Thoughts on that pick? Uh, you can't go wrong. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the guy. All right, number two on my list, Barry Odom. Again, I just think this is just goes to show what an outstanding job Sam Pittman has done already in his short tenure there at Fayetteville. I think he's locked up, you know, two of the best coordinators in the SEC. And now Barry Odom, you know, he got to learn on the job as a head coach. Didn't work out as as expected. And now he's going back. He's being humbled a little bit. But, hell, he's getting to face his former team every year now. I think he's going to do a hell of a job for the Razorbacks. Uh and how about this selection? I think a lot of people are going to have – a lot of people give this guy a ton of hell, but Todd Grantham, Florida defensive coordinator number three, third and Grantham. Third and Grantham? <laughs> what? <laughs> That's what – it was kind of ironic. I put him there number three. May have been a little bit of a troll there. But, you know, he does an outstanding job with his blitz packages and um, you know, his defenses – They've been kind of undermanned here the last couple of years at Florida. I know they've come up short in the big games there against Georgia. LSU kind of shredded them last year, but at hell, LSU shredded everybody last year. But uh, I think with more players that he's actually recruited there in Gainesville and the job he's done the last three years, going back to his time at Mississippi State, I think he's one of the three best in the SEC. Yeah, I can see that. All right, number four on the list here, Dan Lanning, rising coach there. I know it's Kirby Smart's defense, and like I said, he's got his hands all over that thing. But I just think the job Georgia's been doing with, you know, they not to say they don't have outstanding players. They do, but, you know, name me some All-Americans on that defense. I can't think of any, at least last year. Yeah. So it's not a no-name defense, but it's got a – it's just a defense that's so damn good across the board. And obviously, you know, ton of credit to Kirby Smart – but I think Dan Lanning, I think we might be underrating how great of a coordinator he is. So I got him right there at number four. Any arguments with that? 
I don't know. You just, I mean, you made a lot of great points. It makes me wonder why he's not higher on your list, Mike. Do you hate Georgia or what? <laughs> no, sir, I do not. I mean, I, honestly, I, I don't get me wrong. I, I think, I, I think third and Grantham, I, I think he's, he's turned it around. It feels like, it feels like he's becoming a better coach or he, at least he's doing better with his defensive, uh, his, his uh, defense. But I'm kind of with you there, man. I, the the more the more you talk about it, I I think we should move him up the list, maybe to to. I mean, this is your list. Not I'm not doing list, but I'm just saying. I think he probably should be uh, a little higher. Maybe number two, right after Steele. Mm. I mean, that, I mean, that's, just it's because, close. Like you said, he's 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 not doing it. I mean, look at all the people that Alabama put in the draft. Look at all the people that LSU's put in the draft. You know, Georgia didn't do that on defense, and yet they were still one of the most dominant defensive teams in the nation last year. And a lot of people think, and myself included, yourself included, that they're going to have the best defense next year. Mm -hmm. Well, Shane, you're almost talking me out of it, but I'm not going to flip it. This this is cemented. (laughs) Number five on my list, Texas A&M defensive coordinator Mike Elko. If you want to talk about the side of the ball that's uh, done the best since Jimbo Fisher got there, in my opinion, it's Mike Elko, which is surprising given the fact, you know, we all know Jimbo Fisher, his experience and his history and the contract he got. But I think Mike Mike Elko's done a hell of a job there at Texas A&M. And if that defense takes a step forward, like I anticipate they will, I think that's going to be a huge part of the Aggies' success next season. Mm-hmm. Number six on my list, Bo Pelini. So this was a little bit tougher because he's been out of the SEC for a while. And i got to be honest with you, I'd never watched a damn Youngstown State game from my life. I barely watched <laughs> any of his Nebraska. But I do know they had some, you know, Indomitian Sioux-led teams that were pretty nasty on defense. And when Bo Pelini was at LSU as the defensive coordinator, arguably the best defense in the nation, so Bo Pelini could certainly be rising up this list, but given the fact he's been out the SEC for so many years, I couldn't justify putting him in the top five just yet. Yeah, I got you. I mean, because he has been out for so long, I, I'd be—I'm kind of worried where you have him right now. But we're gonna—I mean, it's your list. We'll go with it, Mike. <laughs> mm-hmm. Number seven on my list: Travaris Robinson, South Carolina, and again, you know, similar to Kirby and. Uh, Nick Saban and Jeremy Pruitt, we all know it's Will Muschamp's defense, but uh, Robinson has been working with him for so many years, all the way back to Florida and Auburn and now at South Carolina. And the Gamecocks are really starting to become nasty on that side of the ball. So got to give Robinson a ton of credit for that. Number eight on my list, Ryan Walters, Missouri defensive coordinator. This is uh, one of the most outstanding young coordinators in the nation. He's only been doing it for two years, but, you know, working under Barry Odom, he, he's got that Missouri defense firing on all cylinders. And I think, you know, one of the better hires or retains, I guess you want to call it, Eli Drinkowitz keeping Ryan Walters in Columbia. I think that was huge. And, you know, we keep talking about all these struggles these first-year coaches are going to have this year, we anticipate, but it was just so smart for Eli Drinkwitz to say, hey, the defense, there's nothing wrong with the defense. Let's keep yeah. these guys, and we'll, I'll fix the offense, and we'll get this thing rolling. And Missouri may be in a position, a better position than any first-year coaching staff, to have immediate success on the field next year. 
It's good to hear you talk about Missouri, Mike. <laughs> How about this one? Derek Ansley, your guy, number nine on my list. Number one in my heart. <laughs> He's only done it for one year as a full-time defensive coordinator in the SEC, but incredibly impressed by the job he and Jeremy Pruitt did with this defense last year. They were led by the defense. If Hell, if they had an offense for the entire year, they would have won 10 or 11 games. So Derek Ansley's doing a hell of a job there at Tennessee, and he's another one that could be shooting up this list. Just kind of, in my opinion, couldn't really justify getting him any higher than number nine with only one year of coordinating experience. Uh, Kentucky's Brad White, number 10. I think he's done an admirable, jo- admirable job. I mean, he's he was an outside linebacker coach before that, and that was one of Kentucky's strongest positions. The guy coached up Josh Allen, and now – uh, he's doing it with the Kentucky defense. And again, this is Stoops defense. So kind of got to give him a ton of credit for what's going on there in Lexington. But I think Brad White is an up up and coming coordinator in the SEC. And then Alabama fan, here you go. <laughs> Everyone's uh, most hated coach in Tuscaloosa, Pete Golding. They don't blame mm. Saban for anything. It's uh, Pete Golding who's I think he's like 35 years old, and they think he's the one running the show down there. I, I hate to tell you, it's Nick Saban's defense, but Pete Golding, his defenses have just crumbled in critical situations, and I cannot put him in the top 10 until you know one of these marquee games where Alabama shuts out an opponent or, or you know severely limits them because, hell, it's I, heard, I don't know if I've seen it the entire time he's been coaching there. Yeah. All right, final three on the docket here. Ted Roof, number 12, and he's been outside the SEC for a long time, but hell, he was Auburn's defensive coordinator the last time they went to the national championship, I do believe. So he's got some SEC experience. That's kind of why he separated him from DJ Durkin, my number 13, who, hell, last time I checked, Maryland wasn't that good on defense, and he was the coach up there. So not giving him any more credit than that. And then last but not least, Zach Arnett, Mississippi State defensive coordinator. And that's simply a product of no SEC experience, never watched any San Diego State football. And it's I think he's going to be in for a real lesson on <laughs> what this league's all about. <laughs> yeah, he could be a great hire, but you know, getting paired with Mike Leach, who's probably going to yeah. be throwing the ball over the field and, and <laughs> yeah. you know, there's not going to be eating the, t- the clock. I mean, Zach Arnett is he's, it's going to be a struggle. I think right off the bat here. I hear the three and outs already, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so based on my numbers here, Florida best pair of coordinators in the sec. And my God, that's just going to continue the theme just, here. Of these Georgia fans thinking I hate them. Just crown them, Mike. Crown them already. Jeez. <laughs> How about this? Arkansas, number two in the SEC. And I think that's mm. that's a credit to the job, Sam Pittman. That's why I keep praising this guy. I mean, my God, imagine going from uh, Chavis and some other guy we never even heard of, and now we got the second best coordinators in the SEC. In my, of course, this is just my opinion here, but I think that's yeah. a credit to Sam Pittman and the, the staff he's been able to assemble. Mm-hmm. Texas A&M. Don't get me wrong. I like Barry Odom. I still think you're a little high on him because of what he was able to do at Missouri. But uh, I, I do think that he was a perfect pair for Sam. So I, that's why I'm not going to argue. I think Sam went out. He got the best coordinators he could get, and I thought he did a fantastic job there. All right, Texas A&M, number three on the list. I think no surprise there with their 
great coordinators they've got mm-hmm. running the ship there. Tennessee, number four. Auburn, number five. Georgia, Kentucky, LSU, and South Carolina. I got them in a tie for sixth. So they're all right there, all those – it's those- good. Don't piss them off too bad. That's, that's smart, Mike. It's smart. <laughs> Mississippi State, number 10. Uh, Missouri, number 11. Alabama, number 12. Vanderbilt, 13. And dead last, Ole Miss, 14th in the SEC. Any any big misses there by me? No, that's at SEC, Mike. That's where that's at. So... <laughs> No, I, 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 this is a hard thing to do, man. There's a lot of people that are unproven. You know, there's a, the, you may look at this list at the end of the season and say, why didn't I see that? Or, you know, a lot of things that you can't, you're, that you're probably not accounting for is just the pure talent on the team. Like you said, we're going to look back and we're going to say, oh, God, Sarkeesian won all these awards for being the best offensive coordinator. But was it Steve or was it the team, you know? So I, I think when you look at a team like Arkansas, those coordinators, they're going to make the team better, you know, than than an Alabama team that's just loaded with talent. You know what I'm saying? So right. uh, Georgia could do the opposite. If they don't fulfill what everyone's expecting as a national championship run, they're going to blame the coordinators. They're going to say they're the worst hires in the world. So um, that's just it's, – it's your opinion. I think it's a valid opinion. I think you've made some great points today. Uh, I like the list, and, uh, you know, all we could do is sit back and, and judge, you know? Well, thank you, Shane. I think this is the nicest anyone's going to be about this list. It is, Mike, <laughs> and you're in Portland, so they, nobody's really going to go up there and get you. So I think this is smart, you know? All right, so, yeah, I'm on vacation, so this is going to be the only show of the week. Hopefully nothing major happens while I'm away because uh, I'm not sure how we managed to get a uh, podcast up. But uh, you got anything else before we hop off here for the week? Yeah, buddy. I got a couple of reviews. Uh-oh. First off, Mike, I really appreciate everybody hanging out with us. Uh, it, we're, we're almost through list season, Mike. We're almost through it, and we're almost to real football. We're doing the countdown already. Yep. I love it, man. We're almost in wide receiver numbers. Next thing you know, we're in <laughs> offensive line numbers. You know, So we're getting closer. The ball is moving. Uh, we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I almost can guarantee you, Mike, we're going to have college football. It just feels that way. Absolutely. But I appreciate every, I appreciate everybody taking the time uh, to hang out with us, uh, listen to your review or listen to your list today. And I did get a couple of reviews on iTunes, Mike. Um, and first off, anybody that does rate and review on iTunes, that, that does help us out. You know, the five star hearts really mean a lot to us. Uh, you know, we, we don't get paid to do this. We just do this. Uh, we all got other jobs, man, but we get on here, we bullshit about college football, and that's what it's all about. And the first one, uh, this one comes from Get a Room, man. Hey, <laughs> I like the name. Give us more Mizzou. Five star. Do it, cowards. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when this thing came through, uh, I, I shot it to Mike. I said, you're right, man. We need some more Mizzou, but... There's really not a lot going on right now, Mike. No, there's really not. And I I promise you guys, once we get some actual football, we will be hitting on all these teams. And um, I've already started to reach out to 
the staff there at Missouri to try to get uh, some better audio because we just uh, they they do not do a great job of getting that audio out there. So if I mm-hmm. I'm going to try my damnedest to uh, get us the all the recordings from uh, Coach Drinkwitz for the upcoming year. Awesome man. Well, get a roommate. I appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate that one. Next one, last one. This one comes from. Wow, that's a long name. Let's say Jaw. Jaw says, SEC fan in North Dakota. Thanks. Five star. North Dakota. That's not too far from you, Mike. You know? Hey, maybe. Over, was South Dakota got this? Uh, no, no, no. I'm trying to think. Where's the uh, the box? Everybody rides their box to. Ah, fuck it, Mike. Let me try that one again. <laughs> you ready? Yes, sir. Damn, it's like I'm important. I'm smoking weed or something here. All right, here we go. All right, this one comes from Jaw, SEC fan in North Dakota. Thanks. Five star. Love the show. I am in North Dakota, and I am not a NDSU or Bison fan. I don't get to talk to SEC fans around here much, so listening to you guys is always one of the highlights of my day when a new episode comes out. Trying to make locals understand that NDSU could not compete in FBS ball, especially in the SEC. It's sometimes a difficult task, believe it or not. Thanks for quality content, and also I love Tell the Truth. When, when Oh, I forgot about that one, Mike. Whenever you guys are the coaches, absolutely hilarious. We need more. Thank you. Thanks again, and go Gators. Well, Jaw, all the way from North Dakota, I appreciate you. Yeah, we appreciate that one. I think that's the first review we've had from North Dakota. So, you know, happy to keep the content coming uh, for everyone across the nation and the SEC and all across the world. Well, I think we were, we're trending in Port, in Poland right now. So <laughs> if you're listening in Poland, that we appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hold off the Polak jokes, Mike. <laughs> All right, so I think that's going to do it for this one. Um, Thanks for joining me as always, Shay. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. All right, see you guys. Go Vols. Have fun, Mike. Have fun. You deserve it.